so uh, we'll get started and uh, there's no there's really this is just a laid-back thing we're doing there's no format there's no structure uh, just having a good time um, without wearing a mask everything we do we have to wear a mask and so you know I understand uh, for some people they're kind of fed up with that so we figured we need to do something outdoors so um, I hope you're able to, to just have a good time and I've been praying all day and I've been praying all week and the team that's been working with me to make this actually happen because everything is a team effort you know you know as any any of you know me know that I come up with ideas but I don't do any of the work so thank you for all the people who are serving and working hard to make things happen um, that uh, that that uh, we really just want to be to sit here with Jesus you know like like um, imagine to yourself if you want to close your eyes close your eyes imagine to yourself like Jesus and his disciples they've been walking all day and it's the end of the day they find themselves something to eat they, and they sit in a field they make a little they, they put up a little fire and they're gonna go to sleep in that field and they sit with Jesus and Jesus is telling them Jesus is telling them a story Jesus is uh, sitting around the campfire with them and and teaching them you know and that's what we're here to do. We're just we're all here to sit with Jesus, to sit around the fire with him, to learn from him, you know, um, and 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 meet him. So uh, really laid back, really informal. Last time we had some prayer too. So if God allows, we'll do that. Some worship, if God allows, we'll do that. You know, whatever. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. One God. Amen. Lord Jesus Christ, we, Lord, are your disciples. Lord, <coughs> disciples. Their job is to follow to leave everything and follow you. Matthew, the tax collector, Levi, the tax collector, sitting at the tax office. You said to him, follow me. He got up and he followed you. Lord, despite the rain, despite this, despite that, despite a hurricane warning in Brampton. Then I want to go to Mama. Yeah, go ahead to Mama Habibi. Despite a hurricane warning in Brampton, Lord, all these people are here to come and to just sit with you, Lord. So here we are, Lord. Here we are. We're here to sit with you and to hear a word from you. Lord Jesus Christ, disciple us, teach us, hang out with us, live life with us. Make us just like you. In your mighty name, Lord Jesus Christ, we pray through incessions and prayers of all your saints. Hear us, Lord, as we pray to you, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us our trespasses. We forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not in temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. In Christ Jesus our Lord, for thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever and ever. Amen. So, every good story has got to start somewhere. And most good stories start something with uh, something like, um, Once upon a time, in a land far, far away, a long time ago, lived a man named King David. And I'm going to go to home. Oh, tell good night, Habibi. No. I love you. I guess you want to get home too. And um, you all know a lot of stories about King David. So I promised I'd try to tell you some stories maybe that you don't know. Well, King David after God had given him the kingdom and God had given him some victory and God had given him some good stuff he asks a strange question but before we get into that question 
I just want to touch on last week because as I was preparing, I didn't prepare these these talks to be like or these things to be any first of all to even be talks. I just prepared them to be stories, um, obscure stories from the Old Testament, stories of saints, you know, obscure stuff that would kind of pique your interest at least at least for the sake of its novelty. But I found that this week was really related to last week. Last week I said if you're going to memorize a verse, memorize the verse from 2 Chronicles 16.9 which says that the eyes of the Lord run to and fro through all the earth looking for those whose heart to show himself strong on behalf of those whose heart is loyal to him. And the God is like looking through all the earth. He's sifting through. And we talked last week how he's like sifting through the seven billion people on these earth one by one, each heart one by one to see who will be loyal to him and to show himself strong on behalf of that person. God is searching, is, is, is seeking and that we also have to seek him the way he, he seeks us. And the theme of last week was to seek the Lord and those who seek the Lord will find him and when you seek him and search for him with all your heart you will find him and seek the Lord and seek the Lord and seek the Lord. That was last week. Now this week we're continuing on the same theme that it is actually also God who is seeking you and who is seeking me. And it is God who is looking for you and He's looking for me. And if you have a Bible or you're on your phone or, on, or, or, or hard copy or whatever, open up Second Samuel chapter 9. Our whole story today is just from that chapter. It's just one chapter. And the whole chapter is only 13 verses. It's a really short story. It's a little obscure story about a guy called Mephibosheth. Name is Mephibosheth, you know? Who names their child Mephibosheth? I mean, this guy didn't stand a, a chance in elementary school. This guy must have got beaten up every single recess, you know? Like, this guy, this guy must have, right? And yeah, and his story's kind of sad. He's kind of a, he's kind of a, 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 a sad guy, right? But the story opens by King David turning to his mighty men of valor, turning to his court, and saying, he asks them a question. He says to them, Is there still anyone who is left of the house of Saul that I may show him kindness for Jonathan's sake? Now, who was Saul? Saul was like David's archenemy. Saul tried to kill David like at least a hundred times. Saul, Saul tormented David out of his brain. And despite the fact that two times David had the, had the opportunity to kill Saul and he didn't, and he showed him and he cut a piece off of the hem of his garment to show him, look, I could have killed you while you were sleeping in the cave, but I didn't do it. Saul still tried to kill him. So King David is searching, he's seeking. And, and you're going to find in this story that, that King David is an icon to us, is a prefigurement to us of God. Why? Well, because he, he has a heart like God's heart. His heart is like God's heart. So if this is his heart, if this is the heart of David, what is the heart of God like? He's looking and searching for, for somebody from the household of Saul. Now, why is he looking for Saul? Drove him crazy. Why is he, why is he searching for somebody? Saul hunted him so much. He said, he, said once, he said once, I am hunted like a dead dog. He went to the king of the Philistines, the army of the Israelites. He had killed Goliath, who was the 
hero of the Philistines, right? So he must be the most wanted man in the land of Philistines. And he pretended to be crazy and he drooled on himself to find some sanctuary from Saul who was tearing the kingdom apart looking for David to kill him. That's who Saul is, right? So if David is looking for any of the descendants of Saul, what would be the rational reason he's looking for them? To get revenge? To get vengeance? To get right? To get payback? Okay, fine, he's not going to kill him. But he, he wants him to pay back every penny that Saul cost me. Do you think that's why he was searching for him? No. He's not like a creditor. You know, if you've ever been in debt, in bad debt, you know what it's like to be getting letters from creditors, to be getting phone calls from creditors. It's terrifying. It's terrifying. Not like that. Is there not anyone left from the household of Saul that I may show him kindness for Jonathan's sake? He's looking for you. God is searching for you. He's looking for you. His eyes are looking to and fro through the earth for you. Why? To show you and me kindness. He wants to show you kindness. What's so special about Jonathan anyways? If you go back a bunch of chapters, after, King, after David kills Goliath, David and Goliath is 1 Samuel 17. 1 Samuel 18, you find right from verse 1, he says, he, right from verse 1, he says, and the soul of Jonathan and David were knit together. And this, the church tells us that the, the, that the, 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 the relationship between Saul and Jonathan is an icon to us of the relationship between God and His church. And they loved each other. And David see, and, and, saw, and Jonathan sees David and he just loved him. He just loved him. And David, so tender-hearted, so loving, loved him back. And they loved each other so much. And Jonathan takes off his armor and takes off his robe and takes off his belt and takes off even his sword. These were things that would have been characteristically given to the son of the king by the king as an icon that he is he is the, the one to be king after the king. So Jonathan is handing the, king, the kingdom over to David. Jonathan is basically telling David, you have loved me with such a love that there's nothing left. I don't even want the kingdom. I don't want the kingdom. All I want is you. All I want is you. Many of the commentators say the love between Jonathan and David was greater than the love that any man could have for a woman or a woman for a man. This is the love of friendship. This is the love of philo. There's agape and there's philo and there's eros, right? All of them godly loves. A topic for another day. This is the love of Philo. What do we say in Midnight Praises? The beginning of Midnight Praises. Right? And when we get to the chorus, what is it? Doxase philanethrope. Doxase philanethrope. Glory to you, O lover of humankind. But it's not lover like, like, like romantic love. It's not love like agape. It's not love like storche, the, 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 the ch love of charity. It's the love of philo, the familiar, familial love, the love that happens in friendship, the love that happens between two people who are on a reciprocal eye-to-eye -eye level. Jonathan and David were peers, and they loved each other with such a deep love. And later on, la a little bit later on, in, uh, in, in, uh, in, in, in chapter, uh, I'll tell you now, 
chapter, I want to say chapter 20. I didn't write it in my notes. Right? King da uh, David tells, uh, tells Jonathan, your dad has it out for me. I mean, he's trying to kill me. And at first Jonathan isn't so sure. And then he sees his dad literally throwing spears at him in the courtroom. Saul throwing a spear literally at, at David in the, in, in the courtroom. Would have pinned him to the wall and killed him. That Jonathan says, okay, I'm going to go figure this out. And I'll meet you in the field. And if I do this anyways, I won't belabor the point. But if I do this, then you're right. That your dad has it out for you. And you should escape. And if he doesn't then I'll do this, I'll shoot the arrow this way, I'll shoot the arrow that way, and you'll know that you're safe and that it's just a misunderstanding or whatever. So Jonathan susses it out and he finds out, you know what? He's, he's right. Saul just has it out for him. He just wants to kill him at any cost. So he goes to the field, he shoots the arrow. At this point, David should run for his life. That was the deal, right? I'm going to shoot the arrow, you hide in the field. Shoot it that way, run for your life. What do, they, what do they do? King David comes out of the field. Not king, he was just David at the time. Comes out of the field and hugs Jonathan and mourns, weeps over him. Why? Because this means I'll probably never see you again. I'll probably never see you again. And Jonathan says to him, you know what? God has blessed you and you're going to outlive me. And promise me right now that you will show, when I'm gone, you will show kindness to my family. Because you're going to outlive me. And I will show kindness to you for all the days of your life if God gives me the ability. And they weep over each other. And they make a covenant in that day. And in that moment, they make a covenant, a, a, an alliance, a pledge, an agreement. They make a covenant. Yeah, it's, I, found, I found my reference. It's First Samuel 20. 14 to 16, doesn't matter. 1 Samuel 20. And you're probably sitting there and saying, well, what does that have anything to do with me? David is like God. Jonathan is like humanity. I, I mean, you know, has, has God made a covenant with me that he, will, that he will always show me kindness to my family, to my children, to, my, to, to those who come after me? Yes. See, God made a covenant with Abraham. You can say, okay, but that Dabuna, that's Abraham. Uh, I don't know. Last I checked my ID, it said John. It didn't say Abraham. So what does this have anything to do with me? Has this to do with you? That St. Paul explains to us in Galatians 3 that God didn't make a covenant with Abraham for Abraham's sake or for Isaac's sake or for Jacob's sake or for Israel's sake. But he made a covenant with Abraham and his seed. And seed here is in the singular, not the plural. St. Paul explains it very clearly. So the chosen one to whom all are all the promises is a one, not a ones. And he is a descendant of Abraham. And in him all the promises are fulfilled. And in him all the promises are true. And in him is joy and resurrection and life. And his name is Jesus. He is the chosen one. And he has opened his arms wide to receive the whole world, whoever will come. And he has invited you and invited me. So St. Paul ends Galatians 3 by saying, so there is no more Jew, there is no more Greek, 
Now, there's no more Jew and Gentile anymore because the Jews thought they were Jews because they were descendants of Abraham and to them the promises were made. But St. Paul is saying, no, they weren't made to them. They were made to one of them. The one of them is Jesus that the promises were made. And the promises were only made to him. Seed in the singular, he explains, not seeds, he says. Right? And so there's no more Jew. There's no more Greek. There's no more Scythian. There's no more slave. There's no more free. There's no more male. There's no more female. But all are one in Christ. So in Christ, all these promises are fulfilled. And He has opened the door and invited you to have this covenant with God. This covenant that God will show you kindness. You and your descendants, generation after generation. This is His promise. This is His covenant with you. And Jonathan and David make this covenant. And David runs for the hills. Anyways, a lot of things happen in David's life after the David and Jonathan thing. Jonathan and Saul die on Mount Gilboa. It doesn't matter where they die, but they die. David becomes king. David becomes king. And David, after being king for a while, sets up his kingdom, this and that. Turns around and says, isn't there anybody from the household of Saul, he says, that I can show kindness to him for Jonathan's sake. So they tell him, yeah, there's this guy named Mephibosheth. Weird name. And he, and uh, yeah, but you, you, you don't need no you, like you don't need Mephibosheth, David. I mean, you got you got your own fish to fry, and this guy is lame in his feet. Basically, this guy is useless. Huh? Yeah. This guy is this guy this guy is useless. Like uh, like uh, you're not gonna get anything from him. So, uh, uh, don't trouble yourself, you know. And he tells him, no, no, no. I want I want Mephibosheth. And this is me, and this is you, right? We, we have, what exactly is it that we have to offer God? I mean, He's the Pantocrator, He's the Creator of the universe, He's the King of Kings, He's the Lord of Lords, He's the Almighty, He's the All-Powerful. Like, what is it exactly that you're going to benefit Him in? Nothing. Mephibosheth was a good for nothing. And you and I, sorry to be so blunt, uh, I'm putting myself in the same camp, okay? I'm not pointing no finger at nobody, just at myself as well. We're good for nothing. We're good for nothing. Tell him he's a good for nothing. What do you want him for? He says, no, no, no. I want Mephibosheth. Get me Mephibosheth. Now, if you were Mephibosheth, what would you be thinking? Try saying that three times really fast. Mephibosheth, Mephibosheth, <laughs> right? What would you be thinking? I'd be thinking, oh my God, I am a dead man. Because my grandfather made the king's life a living hell. Right? That's what I'd be thinking. That's what Mephibosheth was thinking. So he comes and he meets David. He throws himself on the floor. And that's a symbol of surrender. Of, he basically realizes that like, if, it, if, if, God doesn't, if, if David doesn't show me mercy, I'm toast. Right? So I, I need mercy. So he throws himself down. So what does David do? He says, to, he says to him, no, 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 stand up, stand up, buddy. What are, you, what are you doing throwing yourself on the floor like this? Stand up, right? And he, he stands up and David says to him, and, if, and, and, and la last, uh, last week I was telling you guys that I had a friend who challenged me to, to memorize one verse from every chapter in the Bible. If you were going to memorize a just only one verse in, in 2 Samuel 9, I would tell you to memorize verse 7. What does verse 7 say? 
verse 7 says, So David said to him, Do not fear, for sure I will surely show you kindness for Jonathan your father's sake, and will restore to you all the land of Saul your grandfather, and you shall eat bread at my table continually. What does he tell him? Three things. I will show you kindness for Jonathan your father's sake. I will restore to you all the land that belonged to Saul. Not belonged to Jonathan, belonged to Saul. Saul was the king. How much land did this guy have? He must have had, he must have owned like a, a noticeable fraction of the kingdom. He's giving up like, you know, I don't know, a quarter, an eighth of his kingdom to the grandson of his arch enemy. for the sake of Jonathan. And the last, the last bit, okay, is just, I, I can't not talk about this. I'm going to need at least a couple of minutes to talk about this. And he will sh shall eat bread at my table continually forever. In the, not in this verse, it doesn't say forever. In the next one, it's going to say forever. Think about that for a second. He shall eat bread at my table forever, says David. What table is this? What table, what dinner table is going to be around forever? Forever. But uh, about uh, six months ago, eight months ago, I had we had this beautiful dining room table. It was this stunning, stunning piece of work. It was just a piece of art. My wife says to me, our dining room table is too big. What do you mean it's too big? She's like, it's 11 feet long. It's too big. We live in a, our whole house is 1,700 square feet. Like it, it takes up half the house. It fit great in our old house, but in our new house, in our current house, it's too, I'm like, it's, but we can't get rid. Anyways, of course, you know, women always win. No word to the wise out there. This labor of love, this beautiful piece of artwork, this this custom made. It had, I mean, it was, it was a, it's really a piece of art, right? gone right now we've got some other dining table right you know it go gets bigger and smaller and does some funky things but you know no table lasts forever what are you talking about god he shall eat bread at my table forever and who lives forever to eat bread at somebody's table forever and why are they only eating bread like why don't they eat something else right Abuna, I think you're reading into this a little too much. I think he's just saying, you know, he can, he can, he can eat at the king's table. I think that's all they're saying. Like Abuna, take it easy. No, 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 no. What table is it that lasts forever? Only God's table. Only God's table lasts forever. And what do you find on God's table? You find bread. What kind of bread? The bread which gives you to live forever. This is my, my beloved brothers and sisters. This is a prefigurement of the Eucharist. He has taken us good for nothing. And he has seated us at his table to sit with him and eat at his table. You look at a Coptic Orthodox icon of the Last Supper, you'll always notice that the table of the Last Supper is always cut off. You only see half the table. Jesus is sitting at the head of the table and the disciples around it. But the other half of the table is cut off. Why? 
it's not cut off because the other half of the table is the one you're looking at which is the altar Jesus is present at the altar officiating offering saying take eat this is my body take drink this is the blood of the new covenant this is my body which is broken for the life of the world you and I are Mephibosheth you and I are the good-for-nothing that was forgotten somewhere and if we come before the king the only thing we can ask for is mercy why because Saint Augustine says that if there was only one person on the face of the earth Jesus would have come and died for him on the cross now I have a question for you if you or I were the only person let's make it me if I was the only person on the face of the earth and Jesus came and was crucified I have a question for you it begs the question who crucified him me I am Saul I am Mephibosheth I am the good-for-nothing that comes and throws himself before God and says it's your mercy or bust it's your mercy or bust and he says what does he say I will show you kindness and in another verse he says bring me Mephibosheth that I may show him the kindness of God King David says you'll find it in this chapter the kindness of God that I may restore to him and seat him at my table to eat bread with me continually. In Song of Solomon chapter 2 verse 4, the, the, the beloved says, the, the Shunammite says about the beloved, he has brought me to his banqueting table, his banner over me is love. He has brought me to his banqueting table and his banner over me is love. What is this table? It is the altar where he offers us himself, where he gives us himself. He gives us the bread of life, which lasts forever. So we can stay at the table forever and eat bread at his table forever. These aren't superlatives. These aren't hyperbole. This isn't, you're trying to make, exaggerating to make a point. You know, I'm Egyptian. I exaggerate to make a point. I talk with my hands, I, you know. But God isn't, God isn't Egyptian. I know we all think he is, but he's not, right? You know, God is, God is, is, is clear, is accurate. It is forever. That's who he is. That's, that's who he is, Right? There's a song that says, he brought me to his banqueting table and his banner over me is love. But uh, I promised Mira I would do my uttermost not to break out into song. He restores him. Okay, I can't, sorry, I just can't, I can't just skip over this. Some of you have heard this before. This just rocked my world. When I understood this, Just it just completely crushed me. You know the prodigal son, when he comes back, the father is waiting for him to come back. He's looking. Again, he's looking for him. He comes back. He sees him from afar off. He runs to him. The, the prodigal son had a whole speech planned. He doesn't get like a quarter of it out, right? He, he gets like three sentences out, the three, three words out of, the, out of the first sentence. And then the father says, shut, 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 shut. Bring 
sandals, put them on his feet, bring the ring, put it on his hand, slaughter the fatted calf. But he says something. He says, bring out the best robe and put it on him. Now, was that because he smelled like pigs and he was in, 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 in tatters that the father says, bring out the best robe? No. Because the best robe, a robe, would have been that. Would have been like, come on, the guy's kind of half naked. Cover him up. Somebody do something. Somebody get him something to wear. No. The, but the best robe is indicative of something. Do you remember Joseph and his robe of many colors? Joseph got the best robe. And that totally, totally peeved his brothers. Why? Because the best robe was given to the birthright son. The birthright son was the son who would get the birthright. Remember Jacob and Esau, right? And you're going to say, but I thought the birthright went to the eldest. Usually it did, but it didn't have to. The father could assign the birthright to whoever he wanted. Hence, Jacob got the birthright. He could assign it to whoever he wanted, whenever he wanted. So it didn't have to be assigned at birth. So basically, when Jacob gave the best robe, to Joseph, he made him the birthright son. The birthright son was to become the patriarch of the family after the death of the current patriarch and would inherit a double portion. So they were 12 brothers, so the inheritance would be divided 13 ways. Everybody would get one portion and Joseph would get a double portion. So you want to tell me, like Reuben was probably in his 30s when Joseph was born. You want to tell me this schmuck who was born when I was an adult and I have a family and I've been serving you all these years and this and that and so on is going to be my boss. He's going to be the patriarch. This guy who doesn't have the common sense to keep his mouth shut. Although he gets all his favoritism from his dad, he rubs it in our nose all day long. You want to tell me this guy is going to be the birth? No wonder they, no wonder they threw him in a pit, right? What does that have to do with Mephibosheth and all this? What does that have to do with the prodigal son? When the prodigal son came back, the father says, put on him the best robe. In the moment of his repentance, are you following with me? The prodigal son says, I don't even deserve to be a slave in your house. He didn't make him a slave. He didn't make him a servant. He didn't even make him a son. He made him the birthright son. He made him the top dog once I'm gone. He restored him. When you and I, good for nothing, enemy of God, come before him and beg mercy like Mephibosheth, he makes us the birthright child. He restores us. Well, that's the story of Mephibosheth. Well, Buna, what happens in the end? He just keeps eating bread at his table forever? Well, the story carries on. Different stories come up. David has another son named Absalom. Absalom is the best looking guy in the kingdom. I mean, this guy, this guy would have been on the cover of GQ all year long, you know, right? They couldn't get enough of Absalom. I mean, Absalom was good looking. He was popular. He could sing. He could dance. Absalom could do it all. Absalom leads an uprising, the treason really, tries to oust his dad and become the king. 
When that happens, David and his family, of course, have to flee Jerusalem because Absalom had, 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 had gotten enough, enough, uh, you know, enough, enough clout to do this, right? So they try to flee, they try to flee, and they, and they run away, and so does all of David's household, right? They flee with all of David's household. Who doesn't come along? Mephibosheth. Now, you know, if people are committing treason, then you're either with the person who's naming himself the king, or you're with the king. The king and his tiny little household, his little band, they escape. So everybody who stays back, by definition, is somebody who's committing treason against the king. Anyways, the story goes on. I'm not going to go on with the story of Absalom, but Absalom dies. David comes back, right? On his way out, David meets the servant of Mephibosheth. So David says to the servant, his name was Ziba, says to Ziba, what a weird name. None of these people have normal names, man. I don't know if it could be John or, you know, Mark, Mary, I don't know. Anyways, says to Ziba, he says, Ziba, where's Mephibosheth? He says to him, Mephibosheth saw that the king was leaving, so he said, now the Lord will restore to me the kingdom of my father Saul. So David says, neither here nor there, let's run for our lives, let Mephibosheth do whatever he wants. And they run for their lives, Absalom dies, blah, blah, blah. David is such a loving heart, he mourns over Absalom, he's unconsolable. Absalom was trying to kill David, but he mourns over him, goes back to his kingdom, he goes back and he finds Mephibosheth hasn't shaved, hasn't washed, hasn't changed his clothes since the day David left. He says to him, ah, you're still alive, huh? He didn't quite say that, but this is my imagination, right? David says to Mephibosheth, Mephibosheth says, since the day you left, I was in mourning. I didn't shave, I didn't wash, I didn't eat, I, I couldn't, you know, you were so kind to me. He says to me, why didn't you come? David says to him, why didn't you flee with me? He says to him, I'm lame in my feet. I told my servant to saddle a donkey for me so I could go with you. He saddled the donkey and he took it himself and he left me behind. King David doesn't say this, but my imagination says, kind of raised an eyebrow, is like, I don't know. But anyway, he says, fine, forgiven, Zayabadu. Welcome back. He said, King David says to him, but I gave all your lands, I gave them to Ziba. I tell you what, we're going to split them 50-50 between you and Ziba. At least Ziba came. At least Ziba was faithful, right? And Mephibosheth says to David what his father Jonathan said to David. He says to him, land, bala land, I don't want it. Just allow me to sit and eat bread at your table continually forever. Glory be to God forever and ever. Amen.